Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. When it says, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he tassim, he put, he tassim the man there. God took, he took the man, and he put him there in the garden. I don't know what he did. He picked him up and put him down there. See? But he put him there. That's the point. So the second word in Isaiah 53.10 of tassim is saying, if you put, if you put, and then we ask the question, put where? That's where the next two words tell you. Third word is asham. Asham is the Hebrew word for guilt. If you put your guilt, if you put guilt, your guilt, nefsho, fourth word, on his soul, his soul. So literally, this is saying, if you put your guilt on his soul, man feels guilty because he is guilty. There's nothing wrong with the feeling of guiltiness. That's a warning signal that comes from the conscious that a person is guilty. You know, a leading so-called Christian psychiatrist once said about unmarried couples who came to him for counseling, and he said, I'm not worried about unmarried couples sleeping together. I'm worried about their guilt complex. The reason a person feels guilty is because he is guilty. There's nothing wrong with the internal warning light of the soul, which is feeling guilty. And you fly in an airplane, and when the the light and the buzzer comes on and says you got a low fuel gauge. That's not a time to climb under the dashboard and cut the wires. <laughs> the warning light, that's a valid warning light. Address the problem, the light will go out. Take away a person's guilt, the warning light of feeling guilty will go out. Or as Isaiah 53 puts it, put your guilt on his soul, Make his, which is the same thing as saying make his soul an offering for sin. When a person puts his guilt on the soul of Jehovah Jesus, then God sees that person and his acceptable offering, and he accepts and has respect to that person and his offering. But when a person says, I don't need anyone to die for my sins, and he comes with an offering of his own good works, and God sees that person, that's an unacceptable offering. God rejects and does not have respect to that person and his offering. And that was the difference that caused the hatred between Cain and Abel. Now, we read in verse 22 that when this great struggle happened in Rebekah, that Rebekah went to inquire of the Lord. The Hebrew word here for the word went is the word halach. Halach, which is the same word as we've seen before, where God commanded Abraham in Genesis 12.1. Now, the Lord had said unto Abraham, get thee, get thee out of thy country. You know, halach, or as it says, lech lacha, go, you go from thy kindred, from thy father's house unto a land that I'll show you. This wasn't easy for Abraham to halach or go from his country and his kindred's father's house. It wasn't easy for Rebekah to halach or go to the Lord, to inquire of the Lord in prayer. It's never easy for us to halach or go to God in prayer. It takes determination to pray. Everything comes to mind when we decide they're gonna pray. Well, we need to do instead of praying. But in verse 22, it tells us that Rebekah halach, she went to inquire of the Lord. And when Abraham had to leave his country, it was hard for Abraham. And Abraham had to lech, he had to halach from his country. And it was hard for him to leave his family. And he had to halach, leave from his family. And it was hard for him to leave his father's house. He had to halach, he had to lech, to leave his father's house. Rebecca had to go to pray to God. It was hard for Rebecca to go pray to God. She had to lech, she had to halach, to go to pray to God. 
And then when Rebecca breaks through this obstacle, or whatever obstacles there were keeping her from prayer, uh, then she goes to God, then God answers with a profound answer. And the answer that God gave wasn't just a clinical diagnosis. Well, let me tell you what's wrong. No, no, no. The explanation that he gave far extended beyond her particular clinical condition there. And God's explanation to Rebecca was both a prophecy and a fundamental explanation for the great conflict between all men ever born on earth and who will ever be born on earth who fall into two basic categories. The two categories that he's referring to here. And I'd like you to look carefully at these verses here, verses 22 through 24, because there's a fundamental point that's stated four times in these verses, 22 to 24. This point is emphasized because it's stated once in verse 22, twice in verse 23, and once in verse 24. What's the point? What's the point that's being stated once in verse 22, twice in verse 23, and once again in verse 24? What is it? What is stated once in verse 22, repeated twice? It's in her. It's in her. See, verse 22 says, within her. Verse 23 says, in thy womb. It says it again, from thy bowels. And verse 24 says, in her womb. See, look how dramatic this emphasis is, especially in verse 24, when it says, when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Well, when she's giving birth, there aren't twins in her womb at that point, because they're born. But it's talking about the birth, telling us this important point, there were. Behold, there were. The important part to see in verse 24 is at the time of delivery, it was seen that there were twins in her womb. See, with those words, behold, there were twins in her womb, it's saying, it's saying, oh, look, there were twins in her womb. Oh, look, that's why she had this grace thrusting forward. She had twins in her womb. See, the point that's emphasized four times in these three verses is that the children were inside Rebecca. And God had this great conflict go on between her children and her womb to teach a point, to drive a point. These children who are in conflict are as close and as related as naked twins pressed up against each other in their mother's womb. They're that close to each other. They're pressed together. And the point of the struggling children being within her, in her womb, in her bowels, it teaches us a fundamental truth, which is stated in, in Romans 9, 6 through 7. They are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. See, the struggling of the two children inside of Rebecca was designed by God to teach us that at that time that they were not all Israel that were in Rebecca's womb. The struggling of the two children inside of Rebecca was designed by God to teach us today they are not all Israel that are of Israel. They are not all Israel that are in the womb called the Jewish people. Last night I was at a gathering of, of Jewish people at a, at a home and uh, I was the only Jewish believer in this group. And so as I was circulating around and speaking to my Jewish brethren, my Jewish kinsmen according to the flesh, I thought of how I was as different as Jacob and Esau in the womb. <laughs> I spoke with one Jewish man who was a homosexual and we looked at his picture book on Israel and his bar mitzvah pictures and, and, I, and, and, and we had a good time. I had some good Jewish jokes. I can't remember them now, but they, one of them was really good. I asked him if it was good. He said he was. Anyway, then he told me of how he nursed his partner all the way through the horrible death of AIDS. 
And, and he told me how terrible he felt during and after that death. And then I told him how I nursed my wife of 45 years through the horrible death of leukemia. And I told him that, by contrast, how wonderful I felt during and after that because of the Lord's presence and protection. And I told him that what made the difference for me was the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I explained to him that as the song says, that when we want to express to someone how much we love them, we take a pen and a paper just to write, I love you. But when God wanted to express how much he loved us, he took three nails and two pieces of wood just to write, I love you. And I told him how the cross just covers a multitude of sins. And then with intention, he looked right at me and he said, it's not for me. And when he looked at me and said that, I felt like we were the twins in Rebecca's womb. (laughs) We were struggling. So the first point that's emphasized in these verses, in verses 24, 22, 24, was that the struggling children were inside Rebekah. Now, God's explanation to Rebekah in verse 23 was that, and the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. See, God explained to Rebekah that there were two nations that were in her womb. I mean, can you imagine? You know, I mean, Rebecca's going, what? You know, it's like, I thought it was just a, you know, a normal pregnancy. Two nations? He says two nations. The word nations in Hebrew is the word goyim, or goy for nation. You thought that was a derogatory term? It's not. There are other derogatory terms, trust me. But that one's not. (laughs) Goy means nation. But the root meaning of the word goy is the word gather, or a community of people. See, the root meaning of the word community in English is the word common. So a community of people is a group of people that have certain important things in common. That's what makes them a community. So when God said two nations are in thy womb, he's saying two communities of people. Jacob and Esau represent two communities, two groups of people because of what they had in common. And so from here on out till the end of the chapter, we can focus and we should focus on the differences between Jacob and Esau in order to see what the people of Jacob have in common to make them the Jacob community and what the people of Esau have in common to make them the Esau community. In these verses, we can see the type of person, the persons that Esau and Jacob are. First, we see in verse 22 about Esau something very important where it says, and Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. See, when it says that Isaac did eat of his venison, the word eat there is the Hebrew word peh, which is mouth, the mouth. So in other words, it says bepeh. So in other words, in the mouth. So in other words, Esau's venison, his game was in Isaac's mouth. So what verse 28 is implying here is that Esau put his venison or his game in Isaac's mouth. And Isaac loved that. He loved that. So in other words, Esau's fellowship is over food. And Esau loves this feeling of satisfying the hunger with food. And the next indication that kind of goes along the same line here is in verse 30, where it says, and Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage. See, when Esau said to Jacob, feed me, he used a Hebrew word, which is la'at, and la'at means to swallow. So in verse 30, Esau is saying to Jacob, let me feel the sensation of swallowing. 
Let me feel the physical sensation of swallowing. Again, Esau loved this feeling of satisfying hunger or his desire for food with the physical sensation of swallowing the food. He loved the physical feeling of swallowing. In order to enjoy all the more the physical sensations of satisfying these physical desires, Esau exalted these physical desires. Esau exalted his physical desire of his body so he could all the more enjoy the physical sensations of satisfying those desires. See, that's the definition of a sensual person. A sensual person is a person who exalts his physical desires so he can enjoy the sensations of satisfying those desires. That's why Esau here, he's the poster child for a sensual person. Esau was a sensual person because he exalted his physical desires of the flesh, of his flesh, so he could enjoy the sensations of satisfying those physical desires. A sensual person exalts physical desires so he can all the more enjoy the sensations of satisfying those desires. The people of Esau are sensual in that they exalt physical desires of their flesh so they can enjoy the sensual feelings of of satisfying them. All sensual people are part of Esau's community. On the contrary, the people of Jacob debase their physical feelings, as the Lord Jesus Christ said. And when he had called the people unto him and his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after him, let him deny himself and take up his cross. See, to deny himself is to debase the physical desires. Sensuality is to exalt physical desires, just to exalt sexual desires, to all the more enjoy the physical fulfillment of those sexual desires. See, that's sensuality. And all the people who obey the Lord debase their physical desires to not make their life's enjoyment the, the satisfaction of those desires. They're part of the Jacob community. And so next, what we see in verse 23 is that God went on more to explain what made this community of Esau different from the community of Jacob, and it was that they were two manner of people, two communities and two manner of people. Manner is an interesting word. It's an interesting word to describe the difference between the Esau community and the Jacob community because this manner difference can really be explained with really two words, with God versus without God. And so, as it says there in Psalm 10:4, the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. God's not in any of his thoughts. When the individuals in a community are alone by themselves, so I'm talking about the individuals in these communities, Esau community, Jacob community, when they're all alone by themselves, you can really see the difference. When they are alone, they have two manners of how each one sees the world around them. The Esau people see the world without God, and the Jacob people see the world with God. See, the manner of the Esau people is to say, God has nothing to do with the world around me. The manner of the Jacob people is to say, God has everything to do with the world around me. When they are alone, the two manners of each individual comes out in how they understand their origins. The Jacob people see their origin in God. The Esau people understand their origin without God. See, the manner of the Esau people is to say, God had nothing to do with where I came from. But the manner of the Jacob people is to say and to think, God had everything to do with where I came from. See, when they're alone, the two people say they solve their life problems in different manners. The manner of the Jacob people is to solve life's problems with God in prayer. 
the manner of the Esau people is to solve life's problems without God. I was telling you about my Jewish friend. And so I told him when I was leading up to the other question, I said, I asked him, I said, what do you do in life when you're really up against a problem that you really don't, you can't solve? You can't solve. What do you do when you do that? And he says, well, I go to others so I can gain ability to solve it. That's an Esau community. That's solving the problem without God. The manner of the Jacob community is to pray to God. The manner of the Esau, the people, not to pray to God, go to people. And then where they're alone, the two ways of the two people, two communities, are, can be seen in their hopes for the future. The manner of the Jacob people is to hope with God. The manner of the Esau people is to hope without God. The Esau people hope, they hope without God that, that things will somehow get better. And somehow there's light at the end of the tunnel. Just haven't seen it yet. The Jacob people hope that things will get better based on the Bible, God's word. When they're alone, the thoughts that occupy the mind show the difference between the two. The grand thoughts that take the attention. See, what they mull on, what they think about. The manner of the Jacob people, they think that their thoughts are all with God as central. The manner of the Esau people is to think grand thoughts without God. The two interests, with God, without God. The two ways of thinking, with God, without God. And then when they're together with others, you can see the difference. When the individual of the community are together with others, the difference can be seen. In their lives with others, they have two manners of enjoying life. The Esau people have no problem enjoying life without God versus the Jacob people. They can't imagine enjoying life without God, without studying the Bible, without reading the Bible, without singing songs to God, without going to church. And then there's the two manners of speaking. When you listen, just listen to the Esau people. You never hear any reference to God. But when you listen to the Jacob people, you hear, praise the Lord, thank God, God helped me, etc." And the two manners of influencing people. See, the Esau people, they influence people away from God. Either they say it or they just imply it. Look what a happy life I have. I don't need God, I don't need a church, I don't need Bible, and I'm happy. That's influencing people away from God. Whereas the Jacob people influence people towards God. Like my Jewish friend who was saved just six months ago, and he wrote to me on New Year's Day, and he wrote this, I look forward this year to continue my journey with the Lord and hope to find others that I can help find the Lord too. Now, that's the language of a member of the Jacob community. Now, in verse 23, God goes on to say, by way of prophecy, that the one people shall be stronger than the other people. See, the one stronger people is referring to the elder twin, Esau. And this is a prophecy, and this was fulfilled in Luke 23, seven through nine. And I'll read that to you. Luke 23, seven through nine. And as soon as he knew, this is Pilate, as soon as Pilate knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him, the Lord Jesus, to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him in many words, and he answered him nothing. Now we know he turned him over to his soldiers who mocked and abused him. Have you ever wondered why the temple in Jerusalem was called Herod's temple? Have you ever asked yourself the question, why would the temple in Jerusalem be named after a Roman named Herod? Well, the answer is Herod was not a Roman. Herod was not a Roman. See, in our chapter here of 25, at the end of verse 30, it says that Esau's name was also Edom. And so Esau is the same as Edom, and the Edomians, or Edomites, are from Esau. And Herod, according to Josephus, was not a Roman, he was an Edomian. So that's why it's called Herod's temple, because Herod had ties to Isaac through Esau. And Herod's family was very strong. 
in comparison to the Lord's poor family of Mary and Joseph. And so we see this when the Lord's family, when they fled out of the land of Israel, why? Because of the brutality of Herod in, in Matthew 2.13, when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So when both Herod and Jesus are standing there face to face, it's a look back to the rivals of Jacob and Esau who were skin to skin in Rebekah's womb. And Herod and Jesus standing in front of each other were again after 2,000 years, it's the twin brothers again of Jacob in the person of Jesus and Esau in the person of Herod from the womb. And now they're brought back together again, face to face, as Herod and Jesus stand there. Herod the ruler, Jesus the captive. We look at that scene and we hear the words of Genesis 25, 23. The one people shall be stronger than the other people, but the elder shall serve the younger. See, the people seen in Herod are stronger than the people seen in Jesus, but in a few short years, Herod is gonna die from being consumed by worms, and then he'll stand in service before Jesus, who's gonna judge him for his sins. But for now, Herod and Jesus, we see in them two opposite manners of people whose only link is the genetics back to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, the next part of the prophecy in verse 23 says, the elder shall serve the younger. Keep in mind that these prophecies came to Rebekah, not to Isaac. And we can just imagine that, you know, when Rebekah went to Isaac and told her what God said, we can imagine Isaac says, says to himself, I'm not accepting that. I didn't hear it myself. I'm not gonna accept it from my over-dominating, controlling wife because God should have spoke to me directly, not through her. (laughs) And we men tend to resist being told what to do by a wife. You know, it reminds me of my friend who's 67 years old, never been married. I asked him, why you never got married? He says, because I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. Now, we know wives don't do that, do they? (laughs) (laughs) Nevertheless, God chose Jacob, not Esau. He chose Jacob, not Esau. God chose not Esau, but Jacob. Just as God chose not Cain, but Seth. God chose not Nahor, but Abraham. God chose not Ishmael, but Isaac. God chose not the seven sons of Jesse, but David. God chose not the first sons of David, but Solomon. Now, when Esau was born, in verse 25, we read that he he came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. He must have been some sight. I mean, you know, normally, you know, mothers say, does he have any hair in his head? <laughs> this kid had red hair all over him. He looked like some kind of beast. You know, he comes out and they name his name Esau, which means rough or tough. It just must have looked like something. And then we saw that he got the name uh, Edom in verse 30, which means red because he desired that red soup that Jacob was making. Red refers back to the earth because the red color of the earth, which ties Esau to the earth like Adam. Adam also has the name that's related to the color red. Now, we read of Jacob's birth in verse 26. After that, he came out, his brother out, his hand took hold of Esau's heel. His name was called Jacob, and Isaac was three score years old when she bare them. See, the name Jacob has the Hebrew word for heel in it, which is akab, Yaakov, akab, akab. So Jacob means literally the heel catcher, the heel grabber. He's named that because he takes hold of of Esau's heel. This shows us something of a manner of Jacob. Jacob saw something of value 
that Esau had and that Esau didn't see any value in. We learn later in this chapter, it's his birthright. It's his birthright. So catching his heel as he's being born is like a prophecy that Jacob would look for his chance to get that birthright from Esau. And we'll see that as we study the rest of the chapter. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for teaching us this morning in your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would make us to be not just in word, but in deed, reflectors of the Jacob community, not the Esau community. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.